about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. BJH in the house. Welcome. <laughs> that, of course, stands for Barclay James Harvest of for the course. listener of famed course. soft prog rock <laughs> band who we are celebrating this week on Worst Gig Ever. I am Mike Pace. I'm Jeff Garlock. And we have a fantastic show. Not only are we going to do an overview of Barclay James Harvest's entire <laughs> career, oh, album okay. by album, we also have a fantastic <laughs> interview with comedian Max Silvestri. Got that right. Very funny guy. Could you? I'd say he's up and coming, even though he's been around for a while. Yeah, he's been around for a while, but he is up and coming. He he fits it all, and yeah, yeah, he's got some great stories of terrible shows in the middle of Connecticut, and there's a real New England kind of nightmare vibe to him being 19, 20 years old and starting stand up and doing these weird kind of comedy contests and yeah. like fish restaurants and there's a real pervading sense of of new england winter yeah if you're ever scared of the the old school boston stand-up scene like i yes. was then these will kind of back up of just like oh that vibe but max also i mean you wouldn't even think it he's got very well-dressed man well dressed. Could, could easily be cast as the villain in a high school uh, film. Yes, definitely. Uh, uh, villain a, with a heart of gold. We yes. Add. He's a, a villain in a Tom <laughs> Hanks old vehicle. Perhaps. Perhaps a bachelor party. <laughs> or, or perhaps an actual vehicle that he bought from Or, yes, just a passenger. Anyway, uh, speaking of Barclay James Harvest, what? I would start off probably with their 1971 album and other stories, other short stories, <laughs> the, third, the third of their records. And then I'd skip straight to 1976's Octoberon, <laughs> and that's because those are the only two records I have and no. <laughs> And that is your wealth of knowledge of Barclay, Barclay James Harvest. BJH, check them out. They uh, they are rewarding with every listen. You know what else is rewarding with every listen? Worst gig worst ever. Gig ever is, the podcast. So, yes. You should check out this episode, but check out other episodes. Go to Worst Gig Ever at iTunes. Go to worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. Listen to our uh, old episodes. Send us an email at worstgigever at gmail.com. If you've got any stories. I just said the Tumblr. You did. The Facebook. Yeah, and the Facebook. Don't forget about the Facebook. We are all over social media. We are. And also, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, you should also go check out Max's show, Big Terrific. Fifth anniversary. Uh, they're doing the fifth anniversary show. Of Big Terrific. At if a, you're in New York, of If course. you're in New York. If, For the I, hey, if you're not in New York, you want to go to it, I'm not going to stop you. Come out to Music Hall Williamsburg. Go see that on the 15th, I believe. Great big, great big comedy show. It's going to be a big old comedy it show. Is. But until then, you should listen to Max right now. BJH. BJH. So I've been in New York seven years now, and uh, playing when I play in the city, I play mostly like 
downtown kind of alt rooms. Now that sort of scenes moved to Brooklyn, but when I was starting, it was all like East Village, Lower East Side. Right. And those rooms tend to be super friendly. Like the weirdest stuff can go on there. So it's not like, you know, the crowds are up for it. And it's, you know, even if there's no one there, you don't really get like a bad room. But um, the first big show I booked when I got to New York was this weekly showcase uh, called Invite Them Up mm-hmm. that used to happen in this place for Fifi, which at the time was sort of like the mecca of sure. uh, cool, com- you know, like right. David Cross and Patton Oswalt and Louis C.K. would wander in on any random night and, and Eugene Merman and this guy Bobby Tisdale hosted every Wednesday. So it was like I was hanging out there a lot and drinking all the time and someone dropped out and was like, do you want to do the show? And then the person came back, but he like uh, stayed to it. Bobby was like, you know, we'll have you do it in like a month. So it was this big deal that I had been in New York, you know, four or five months and was getting on the show that mm-hmm. could have all these people I like had posters, you know, on yeah. my wall, like growing up of. Um, and you're doing open mics at this point. I actually hadn't been. I had sort of lucked out and then I kind of like skipped doing open mics and then I, I started doing. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah. was in that I had done improv in college um, and like my second year, my sophomore year, this guy came back to school that had taken like three years off college um, to do stand-up professionally in L.A., but was mm-hmm. like tired of people that hadn't like read books or anything. Right. So he's like, I'm going to go finish school. So he came back, rejoined the improv group. We became sort of fast friends. And he was like telling me all these stories of doing stand-up. And he was starting to headline again uh, in Massachusetts. And he he basically lied to this club owner in Boston saying like, oh, yeah, this guy, Max, he opens for me at college gigs all the time. Like, he's very good. You should put him up. And this is like a book club that uh-huh. uh, this place, a studio that is still a great club. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically lied and got me like a Saturday spot at this club for my first <laughs> set. Wow. Uh, so I basically had this like five weeks out to like come up with seven right. minutes of material. But I'd been on stage and, you know, I, I thought I was funny and I like was able to pull it together. And it went well enough that I just started getting booked Right. Regularly there and then met people. Basically, when I was doing it in college, going up to Boston to do this club, I met some people that then left for New York. So by the time I got here, there was like enough people that kind of remembered me there to sort of like start, you know, mm, like I just right. kind of skip, sure. skip that step. Um, what college were you in? At this I was going to Brown. So okay. I would drive up a couple times mm-hmm. a week to Boston to Cambridge right. to do because it wasn't the scene in Providence was very right. not chill. Uh, I can tell a story about that. But um <laughs> So, so I get this, so I find out I'm doing this like big show and, you know, I've been doing a bunch of shows in New York. I felt ready for it, but, um, my parents who've like never really seen me do, never really seen me do comedy at that point, uh-huh. they knew I was doing it, knew I had the show and they happened to be like visiting a family friend in like New Jersey or something. And like, basically I show up to the show. I told a bunch of friends about it. You know, I show up a little late. It's like packed in the front bar and like a friend from college comes up and it's like, your parents are here. (laughs) And that's not their style to just like, Oh, we just sort of traipse around in the East village (laughs) and we'll run into you. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? And this place was like such a weird, like it smelled like someone put out like a hair and cocaine fire by like peeing on it. Like it was such a grungy, disgusting, like porno movie theater turned into a club. And they were like, there sitting on a couch, like recognize some friends of mine from college. And I was like, Oh my, also it was not a comfortable place for, you know, old people to be at. So I'm like, ah, and like people are already starting to file in. So I'm like running around trying to get them like, you know, there were a handful of seats and no mm-hmm. comfortable ones. And, uh-huh. you know, my dad had like super bad knees. So I was like, uh, <laughs> let me put you here. Uh, and it, it worked out that I was going first. But uh, so like the room's packed and uh, the guy, Bobby Tisdale, 
who always like sort of would get the crowd revved up, he's hosting first and he ends up um, doing this like seven minute bit where um, he basically, he said he was starting a 64 person maraca band <laughs> and he wanted to show people the acts, but he only had three maracas with him or whatever. <laughs> so he brought up a couple people from the audience, like two, two brothers or something, and then proceeded to like play this maraca song and dance to it, but just graphically jerk them off and <laughs> fuck them from behind for so long. Like, right. you know, in the vein of alt comedy, it's like, eh, you know, 30 seconds yeah. would be funny, but wouldn't four minutes sure. just be, you know, another level. So just literally the most graphic, like, just like sucking one of them and just like jerking, like just and they're two so, brothers. As well. Yeah. And they Somehow. were, into it. they were these comedy nerds that were always in the front row right. and he knew Classic. they would be like, yeah. okay with it. So he's just on stage shaking his maracas, just like screwing these guys. And my, and I had been like talking up how great things were going in New York <laughs> right. and all the exciting comedy and, uh, and comics I was like seeing and working with. And they just, the opening act is just. Literally somebody miming like shit they hadn't even heard of. Uh, and then I'm brought up and like my act at the time also was like young and stupid and had a lot of like jokes about like getting caught masturbating right. by my parents. And like I, my brain hadn't worked quick enough, nor did I have enough material that I was like, you are here. I only had eight good yeah. minutes that I was into. Right. So I wasn't going to be like, no, I'll do the clean stuff. The folks are here. I was like, no, I'll do the stuff. Uh, and I'll do what I, have. I'll do what I have and you'll all be happy with it. Uh, and, and I, so, and people had realized that there was not older adults there that often. <laughs> right. And people also realized that my parents were there. So just like the whole audience, I like did okay, but the whole audience is like looking at me and staring at my parents <laughs> as they just watch me be like, you know, give her like, like I had a punchline to a joke at the time that was like, it was a real story about my mom trying to give me sex ed by like when I had it in school, Ugh, I had to get a permission slip signed, but I didn't even want to like bring that up with them. Like super Catholic, like we didn't talk about right, that. So yeah. I just like left it out for them, you know, hope, hoping they would just <laughs> sign it and put it in my backpack <laughs> and we'd like never talk about it. And so I'm telling that story and about how she actually came into my room that afternoon with the permission slip and said, you know, so you have sex ed, huh? And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, playing it real cool. And she says, do you know how that stuff works? And I was like, totally, totally. We don't need to talk about this. <laughs> and she says, okay. And she goes to leave the room. And before she does, she like puts the permission slip down. But then she also puts this sheet of eight and a half by 11, like computer paper down that, uh, that on she drawn, uh, like a pencil diagram <laughs> of the female reproductive system, just the female nice. that she copied clearly out of a textbook. You know, it was like just that picture of like whatever that moose head or, you yes. know, like that yes. very particular diagram. And she had like little labels in her handwriting, like fallopian tube and as if that would teach me. Right. So I'm telling that story and then the punchline, which was like very indicative of my younger comedy, which was like, I would just tell a real story and then lie right. at the end of it. But I was like, do you know how weird it is to have a hand drawn pencil sketch of the female reproductive system made by your mother and then get caught masturbating to it uh which i really thought was a great joke at the time but like everyone is just like staring at my mom and dad and then is it true yeah yeah did he did you see it um did he use that to go uh, and then they just like got up and like filed out uh i mean they were very happy it was like one of those parent attitudes were like 
everyone else seemed to be having a nice time, yes, <laughs> you yeah, know, but that was sure. just, just like, it's not all uh, weird Maraca jerk offs yeah. and stories about you guys. Uh, <laughs> so they left after your set. They, they did not they stay didn't. for the whole weird two hour. <laughs> now we're going to have a guy, you know, with a racist puppet and, and someone <laughs> yeah. reading a weird book he oh, found. Jeff in Dunham story. was on the bill. Right. <laughs> it was an ironically racist puppet. <laughs> right. Um, but that was like their first experience with like what I was doing with comedy oh, right. in New York. And I think they still think that. It's very awkward when you introduce your parents well, to the various worlds that yes. you live in. It seem like they, they're making sense to you. Yeah. It makes sense in your world, but like it doesn't make any well, sense. Well, have, have your parents seen you perform since then? Uh, you know, my mom came... Uh, like a month or two ago, actually like six months ago to now, now I do this like weekly show and mm. I'm still talking. I mean, I'm making it sound like my act has <laughs> just ma- matured uh, right. and s- uh, so intensely. You're humorous that it, yeah, now. Yeah, right now it's really more political stuff. I don't know if you guys, <laughs> you guys watch the daily show with stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> no, it's, it's still, edgy. yeah, it's just other stories I remember with slightly better punchlines. <laughs> um, but she came and uh, she was far chiller. Yeah. about it she really she really liked it i um, had when the, the one time that mom my mom came to see my band play at, at the mercury lounge it was mm-hmm. a good show and she definitely appreciated it and like supported it but kind of gave it like well it's not really my type of yeah. music but i love that you're doing <laughs> first time and I'm, yeah, my yeah, mom's, yeah. Uh, my first my band orchid first show or show the first one she had seen uh it was in north carolina she went down to go visit my uncle and she left halfway through the set. Oh, because it was making her nauseous. <laughs> and then the first time she Did you have saw a big light show or something. Was it like a, no, a large visual? It component? was just like because it was heavy and loud. Right. She just couldn't deal. Uh, <laughs> and then the first time she saw uh, one of my shows at UCB, uh, I think her reaction was just like, well, that was interesting. <laughs> right. I was like, great. All right. See ya. You're going back to Connecticut now. Awesome. <laughs> my kind of ideal was like they came to see an improv show in college mm-hmm. and those would be like in these weird, like there was no sound or, you know, we would yeah. be in like the, uh, like in a lecture hall mm-hmm. and people would be sitting in like the, you know, the chairs of this like stadium seating thing. Yeah. Uh, and they were like sort of near the back and just couldn't hear the show, <laughs> but saw everyone laughing. So like that was their kind of idea. Like we don't actually want to know what you're saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it seems like everyone's having a good <laughs> time. Seem to enjoy it. We don't really care what the content of your comedy is. <laughs> so so talk about those early days in Providence and and the transition from uh, improv to stand up and kind of uh, it sounded like Pro- like Providence was kind of a, a dry it, it was a dead it was, zone of sorts. I had grown up being super into stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a way it's, you know, I, I wasn't one of those guys that had like Bill Cosby records and, and listened to it really academically. I just like watched a lot of TV right. and got really into the first, like the Ha Network and then yeah. Oh, yeah, Central when I was a kid. Ha, yeah. And, and yeah. at the time, so much of the programming was recycled stand up from yeah. half hour comedy hour. Yeah. A lot of brick wall. Yeah. A lot of brick stuff. wall. And it would, God, stuff they, they would never get away with now with all, with, you know, stand ups being our right. tours or whatever. But right. it would, they would have a show. They had this show called Stand Up Stand Up mm-hmm. where a host would present clips that some of which were called from, you know, like every network mm-hmm. had a stand up show then. Like A&E had a Rosie O'Donnell yes. hosted stand up show. Some would be from that, but some would be like clubs. That clearly had just cameras set up mm-hmm. and like made their comics sign away right. stuff. And they would be like, okay, up now is a segment on smoking. And then they would just show seven comics back to back doing one minute bits on smoking. Like you would never see yeah. stuff like that yeah. remix now. But I really like was super into that. Um, but then when I got to college, 
Um, I got into the improv group and like was doing sketch, but then stand up just seemed like homework, you know, right. like to write stand up and to get better at it is hard. And improv right. was like, if I just speak confidently and <laughs> say know? dick every couple of minutes, like I will crush, <laughs> like mention the cafeteria and people will lose right. their minds. So I, and I also like went to this, we had a stand up club, uh, on campus. So when I was like, got to school and I was like, I'm going to do all the comedy there is. I'm going to like write for the magazine and do all this. I went to one stand up club meeting and it was, you know, a student group where they, you know, reserved a classroom on a second floor once every two weeks and they had a budget from the university for pizza or whatever. <laughs> and they put their desks in like a square and faced each other. Mm-hmm. And I walked in and they just had these like dry, these strangers and they right. didn't all know each other. There was like one person in charge and they would have these like dry workshopping sessions where I walked in and someone's like, okay, your turn. And someone pulls out a piece of, you know, print, like a printout. And it's just like, okay, I have this bit that's about, you know, trying to buy sex from a prostitute in an alley. And it turns out to be Yoda and just like doing a weird Yoda voice and like this very high concept, stupid, like college kid bit. And then someone be like, you know, I think that's good. But I think when you say Yoda's right ball, left ball would be funnier, like really just kind of needling. And I was like, who are you people? Not only does this seem to make comedy terrible, but I would never trust any of you. No, no insult to them, but it's like, I don't know you. Why would I trust your opinion on what's funnier? So I sort of like, walked away from it then until this friend kind of twisted my arm and put me mm-hmm. in a situation to do it. And, but I mostly was doing it like out away from college. Like I was just doing it in this right. very friendly, like this club that guys like, um, you know, like John Benjamin and, and Eugene Merman and, uh, um, Brennan small, like this very alt friendly place, like in Cambridge by Harvard square. So right. it was like a very warm and loving incubator for like whatever comedy I was doing. But then which club was that? It's called the comedy studio. Okay. Um, it's like on the third floor of a Chinese restaurant, but it's been there for, you know, 15 years right. and mm-hmm. it's, it's a really great place. Um, but then I, there was some show, there wasn't a lot in Providence. There was a terrible comedy club that mostly had like weird middling headliners come and do like weekend sets, like traditional yep. comedy right. club, like come this weekend, see R rated hypnotist. And right. he would make girls take off their sweaters or whatever. <laughs> uh, and really drunk bachelorette parties yeah. would lose yeah. their minds. But there, I saw this flyer that there was like a funniest person in Rhode Island contest, uh, at some weird restaurant, like 40 <laughs> minutes outside of Providence. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. And this is, I can invite friends from college. Like they're not going to come see me in Boston because that's sort of a hassle but like oh I'm doing a show in Rhode Island and it was just like this nightmare show (laughs) where all these and there and I learned later that like lots of like legit New England comics will be like I will never do a show in Rhode Island like it just sort of has a kind of notorious reputation Uh of being like I can't even fathom it's like there was like the the king of it who wasn't in the competition because he was already just assumed to be the funniest person (laughs) in Rhode Island was this like skis ball guy uh who was like seemed kind of mobbed up and he was like bragging to my friend he's like you got he's like last year I made 45 grand off the books doing comedy you know like (laughs) it was just all about like doing like VFW halls every weekend or whatever and which is a totally fine thing but he like and he like there was some girl comic on the show that he like went outside with for a minute and then went to my friend he like held up 
his hand like he like uh, and he didn't know this friend he was yeah, just like this right. weird stranger yeah. to communicate that he had just put four fingers inside of her like right outside and then he got on stage like took the mic um <laughs> so the audience was all these old like it was some of my friends and then all these terrible terrible comics uh, i wasn't that great then either um and but all these old lady people there to see it, like, you know, oh, well, go see the show right. at the, you know, fish restaurant. And <laughs> they didn't like my, you know, weird jokes. Uh, Did you do the, uh, the, the, I think I, I, that was, that was, that was a big closure back then. <laughs> I was rarely not doing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your tight five. Yeah. My tight five always ended with and get caught masturbating to a good night. Yeah. Wait for, wait Drop for applause to die. Wait for applause to die. Drop the mic. Um, so I did terribly. And then gal, this guy, the headliner, um, I feel like, He's, he doesn't probably like know how to use the internet or anything, so he's not going to hear this. But yeah. he's like the sort of guy who's like, I'm going to break your knee. Uh, uh-huh. I think he was in jail for beating a guy up with a two by four, I heard, <laughs> like at some point. But anyway, he goes up and he pr- proceeds to crush with a prop <laughs> bucket, which wasn't always his deal, but was tonight. And he's like, uh, he like brings out a super, super ratty doll of like a, uh, rabbit. And he's like, uh, this is the Easter Bunny in Central Falls, which is like a town nearby. <laughs> but like Local 11, prop, but yeah. people were like, ah, oh, Central Falls is so poor. Like it was that kind of thing. Know your audience like, kind of This thing. is the best comedy. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And then also all my college friends were like, cool world here <laughs> decided to enter. I mean, it was, it's it's weird to think that like in eleven years or whatever, people's access to like what comedy is is like so changed. It's so much easier now. Like sure. I, so many friends of mine that never paid attention to stand up and don't watch Comedy Central know everybody through podcasts because they're yeah. like, oh, I listen to every right. WTF, every you you made it weird. Like they're just right. like they yeah. know everyone and have they learn through comics through hearing them on podcasts first, yeah. and then they'll be like, oh. Like, and now they like, they, these friends that still live in New England, they're like, oh yeah, we're, we got tickets to John Mulaney this weekend. And I was like, yeah. wow, like what? Right. It's great. I mean, it's it great for awesome. comedy, it's, but it's, it's such a chain. like baseball cards. Now. It's Just what like, like this knowledge. Yeah. the explosion of like the Brooklyn scene in the early aughts was yeah. with like the fact comedy is as cliche as my comedy is the new rock and roll. Yeah. You might <laughs> say in terms of it. Being like, you know, people obsessing over it. Yeah. And not just in like a weird basement D way. Yeah, no. Like, it's, you know, it's, comedy it's, always had like, like Mr. Show and like these people yeah, that sure. were obsessive and on forums. It's but cool now, now. It's cool now. Now, like, you'll well, meet somebody like, you know, like a regular, like 40 something, like office worker dude, like came out to my show. Right. And he was like, Oh, I saw Eugene Merman retweeted about it and I just really loved his WTF. And I'm like, oh, You had, have no interest in comedy right. like outside, but like you. Yeah. You know, this was one of the main things that when you wanted to put content on your iPhone that they told you you should listen to. And now you're obsessed. You probably know because I I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. And this guy probably knows more about modern comedy than I do because he's listened to like Gary Shandling talk for six hours about, you know, uh, the business. Yeah. Or not, you know? <laughs> so it suffice to say you did not win the world's, uh, or no, I did not. Uh, <laughs> and I retired from the competition. I don't know if there were <laughs> competitions in subsequent Future. years, but I, uh, never reentered. Yeah. So, I burnt out. So then you come to New York and is the, uh, idea to really just continue to do it. Like stand up is the, the end goal. No, I think, um, that was what was sort of exciting about, um, at the time, improv didn't really feel like an end goal. Like, I mean, UCB was kind of existing right. in New York, and you know, I, I 
came and visited once and and they were still in their old theater and I got to see like Respecto Montalban, which mm-hmm. now like everyone in that is involved with like very fancy things. And it was definitely like there was a sort of a path, but the community in Cambridge that I'd found was kind of like seemed real. It seemed right. like, oh, people are getting on TV from here and things mm-hmm. are happening. So I right. sort of focused on that and then got to New York and wanted to continue it because it, you know, I was like this. I was kind of a comedy nerd mm-hmm. in in high school and college, and you know I like got a fake ID when I was nineteen to do this come down and go to this thing called the Tinkle Booze Cruise, which uh-huh. there was a show years and years ago at Pianos hosted by David Cross, Todd Berry, and John Benjamin yeah. called Tinkle, and it was maybe weekly mm-hmm. for I think a time. It was for a while. Yeah, I yeah, that happening, and I could never get in. Yeah, and I, I would always be like, yeah, I'll go run down to Tinkle tonight, <laughs> and they'd be like, oh well, never no, mind. I'm it was like Sunday nights or whatever, yeah. um, but. I never, I mean, I like knew of that show somehow through like, you know, uh, a special thing and like we, the yeah. few mm-hmm. places you could find out about comedy on the internet and I'd never seen it and they didn't have clips online. I had no idea what it even was. I just knew that, oh, I love those guys. So they did this after they'd stopped the show, a booze cruise, which was like three hours around Manhattan with mm-hmm. all these like alt people. And at the time, like, um, Kenneth from 30 Rock was like in a sailor costume greeting people when you got there, like everyone involved. Right. Mm-hmm was just like ended up it was like right at kind of the uh beginning of the upswing of UCB mm-hmm. being like the feeder yeah. for the entire entertainment industry mm-hmm. uh so like you know like Fred Armisen was doing bits and like John Glazer and like Lasavi Fav like played a set and you know Rachel Dratch and David Wayne were hanging out and, like all the wet hot people were there and it just felt like this is this is like what I want. Like Wet Hot American Summer is the funniest thing I've ever yeah. seen and right. these places seem cool. So when I got here I just like wanted to do that but then you know it and that is still very fun but there's there's so many different obviously ways you can be funny and i mean like i like writing i like making videos it's like fun to you know so i i i still do a weekly stand up show and i like tour and like open for people mm-hmm. but it's also i i enjoy you know enjoy writing all. and uh doing it all yeah yeah i'm a multimedia comic it's very <laughs> it's confusing to write down uh because you do it so when is you you know your show you do big terrific yes yeah, yeah. uh and that's your your five-year anniversary? Yeah, we're coming up on five years. It's a little short of five years, but it ended up being that the two people I started it with, mm-hmm. Gabe Lieben and Jenny Slate, both moved to L.A. in the last right. year. So mm-hmm. it's been just me, but then there was kind of this, I was going to be out of town for a, a project, and they were coming into town, mm-hmm. and we were going to like exactly not overlap. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, that's a bummer. You'll be in New York, and I won't be here. But then both of our schedules opened up, and I was like, oh, why don't we have it one month early anniversary show just because like right. you know why not yeah. um so that's what we're gonna do so nice. it, in terms of hosting so i wanted to ask you about that um just the idea of hosting keeping the show moving sure you know, yeah. along um you gotta have a story from 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 something that dealt like dealing with with just moving the show from one you know one comic to the next and things are just not you know, it's, it's, I think the like hardest thing about hosting is, um, I mean, I love hosting because you feel less entitled or less, um, kind of beholden to material, you know, like even on my own show, we used to sort of trade off. So one week I'd host and the next week they would host and I would do a set. So mm-hmm. when you're doing a set, you're like, okay, I'm working on mm-hmm. this 15 minutes and I can do this joke again and I'm tweaking stuff. But when you're hosting, it's like, I don't want to start the show with, you know, Hey everybody, like, so I was driving yesterday, you know, like, <laughs> it's forced and people aren't yet, like, ready. They yeah, haven't maybe right. had enough drinks, so they're not quite sure what the tone is. Um, so it's like, I would love to just do nothing but ask 
people questions and talk to people and think of stories off the cuff and just like be myself. And that is much more fun. But I also, you know, it's like my show and I want everyone to have a very good time. The whole point of it is it's not just like I want a room for comics to work out stuff. I like want the audience Mm -hmm. to feel super comfy and just like this is such a fun time. So even if I am not booking everyone, I feel like personally responsible Mm -hmm. for like everything that's set on stage, which is sort of like... I don't know. I think it's a weird position to be in mm. because I, I love watching comics that I love, but if like something isn't going well, you're taking the responsibility. I feel like, and, and you know, the way our show is sort of set up is that I'm always sort of on the side of the stage. So people can kind of always see me watching mm-hmm. the comics, you know? So I, I feel this like sort of responsibility to, to be paying attention, to be into it. Right. And when people aren't into something, you know, cause I know my crowd, I know that they don't, they really don't like when you make fun of retarded people. And even though it's an all white crowd, they get very nervous about any kind of race stuff. Uh, sure. they're just very Williamsburg and they just get real offended on other people's behalves. Uh-huh. And they're <laughs> like, if someone just says like my black friend, people just like pucker up and just hover like an so, inch above the seat. So my barber is not going to be doing a set. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but he, he, uh, he would like the show. Please. I'll give him a card. I don't have a card. Um, so I don't know. I always feel like a weird responsibility. I feel more beholden to my audience than I do to my comedian friends. Like right. I would happily throw them under a bus after a bad set to make fun of them and to diffuse yeah. the tension <laughs> than to, it's not, I don't like the idea of a room where it's like, fuck you guys, you're weird. Or you're like, you're dumb for not getting that. Or like, right. Oh, loosen up. Even if that's the case, even if it's the audience's fault, I want to be on their side, sure. not the, which I think is like sort of a different vibe than a lot of shows where it's sure. sort of like about, we're all doing art and you're watching it, so you right. should like it. Was that the impetus behind starting the the show to be? That was the entire impetus. I mean, we we you know, there were more shows then in New York. I mean, there were more rooms, venues just close a lot and mm-hmm. it's just harder to get people to come out um to do things. But we I don't know, I think we like I was saying, like before people like paid attention to a lot of comedy. I think people had this idea that what stand up was was that best comic in Rhode Island competition. That sure. it was like dirty and hacky and like kind of a dark life and not fun to be at like that you might be the target of a like like people genuinely thought that they they go to a show and they sit in the front row some comic's gonna be like you're fat you're dumb you know like yeah. like this weird kind of like that that's the vibe and like open like, mics in general oh, it did happen at a show that my <laughs> my family came to visit. really they dragged me to some show that they're like it's at caroline's and there was caroline's Danny Rose or some like smaller Broadway version. Danny Rose that, is that what you yeah, exactly and we were in Broadway Danny Rose yeah. and they uh, every single comic it was right at the time the Osbournes came out so every single one was just like oh yeah look at this guy and I was like oh, this oh man this is why I don't and, and there's a whole that. genre that like you know New York is a big city and there's a lot of venues and a lot even being here seven years I haven't played and mm-hmm. I just don't go to and there's like a whole night at I think this place the Village Lantern mm-hmm. which is entirely for comics who excel at insult comedy to the audience you know so like what what they do and what the audience comes to see right. is to see like these weird type A dirty comics like alpha male mm-hmm. guys be like you look like a bunch of fags like it's this right. and people are like yeah you know like I can't fathom Anyone wanting to be on either side of that equation. Go to Dick's Last Resort restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, is that wait? Is that is that the whole thing? Yeah, the gag is they are mean to you. Dick's to you. That's the name. That's the whole theme of. There's a place. There's a hot dog place in Chicago that's like that too. Oh, right. I saw Swin Triumph was on that. They insult you at the NPR story. That was yeah. You're just like oof. That's 
some rough racial politics. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. So yeah, our whole we we had so many friends that were like in the arts or not in the arts, but their you know stand up had such was kind of like ghettoized in the in the view of right. just like oh well you know I, that's really cool what you guys are doing and I like your sketches that you put online and stuff, but I don't want to go to a show because it seems like mean and weird and unfun and. Yeah. The best comedy at Rafifi that we were used to wasn't like that. It felt inclusive and it felt loose and that you were just like at this cool party where some people were performing. So our only kind of driving principle of the show was always like, well, we just only want to book people we like. You know, this is not this is not a show where we can like trade for show like stage right. time and, you know, do favors and, and put up people to say, you know, we just want to have people we like watching mm-hmm. and we want everyone to feel like really relaxed uh, and feel. And, and I think. That sort of makes for, I think, a fun show, but sometimes comics from like other scenes who are very funny and good don't like have the best time. Like sometimes LA comics will come out in LA. It's a much more showcasey vibe mm-hmm. where people are doing their like eight minutes that like is also their SNL audition and is also their like sitcom pitch. You right. know, it's very like performative right. and, you know, for a camera, not for an audience. Rehearsed. And not that that's, that can be good on TV and sure. stuff, but people will come to this, you know, dark room where they're, you know, it's like you're five feet away. Like, don't yell at the crowd doing right. this, like, you know, Eric Bogosian monologue of like, where you're doing like <laughs> Talk radio. Yeah. It's like, just be yourself. We all want to hear you be yourself. I think it's the first Eric Bogosian reference of 2013 <laughs> in general. I was just thinking right about him today. Uh, I got to write him a check. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, cause even like I grew up, uh, uh, with the same view of like loving comedy and loving stand up and like, you know, watching it obsessively on TV mm-hmm. and would never think of going to stand yeah. up. I went to stand up once in a, in college, like partly because, you know, I was very into music. So I was like, no, sure. I go to music. Yeah, but yeah. I went once to see Tommy Davidson. Great set <laughs> uh, at, in Boston uh, at whatever that comedy club is in Faneuil Hall. Yeah, Comedy Connection. I yes. saw Jane Cook there when I was like 16 with like a bunch of it was like I'd never seen anything funnier right. than that. You know, yeah. like it was, it was, such a weird... it was really good. I bet he was so yeah. great. But, and were you guys of the mindset? I remember when I saw George Carlin in like Las Vegas at 19 or 20. I thought he was just riffing off the top of his head like i didn't realize it was an act that it was rehearsed that every oh yeah i didn't understand any i just thought it was like he just comes out and he talks yeah also i didn't know like tommy davidson's a good example because like uh, there were so many specials tommy davidson sinbad and uh jamie fox all had specials in heavy rotation comedy central i think there were hbo one hours that got repeated Mm -hmm. and i think all three of them had like portions of their act where they just covered soul music uh <laughs> yeah. not it wasn't there wasn't a funny part to it it right. was just They're like just doing it they just sang. they like got on a jamie fox got on a piano and yeah. sang right. and like this crowd like lost like were yeah. weeping and singing along and also it was like music i'd never heard you know like right. but i just thought that that was what comedy was like these guys they go up in like weird uh you know two-toned custom-made right. suits and they they do a lot of funny jokes and then they'll just uh do a song. Do a yeah. song from a the radio. Real Julian. I would have entertainer. Yeah, yeah. I think I had that idea for a long time. Like I remember. Like I would be like. Oh, I'm not going to go to Rafifi shows. <laughs> like like in like two thousand. Like Tommy Davidson will do an hour and yeah, twenty like, minutes, and I don't want to hear you know any neo soul or right. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I just had these, and I was like, oh, it's not for me. I like it on TV. Like it's like it's a different world. I never like. I was like, oh, I never. It never occurred to me that sure. I could do it either. Yeah. Like it never occurred. Like you know, it was the same with doing improv until I went to UCB, and definitely with sketch. Like I just, it just didn't ever occur to me. 
Because I just thought it was Tommy Davidson or nothing. Right. And uh, people, I don't think, realize, like, also, people that have no interest or, or participation in the arts, I guess, like, don't realize that that's, like, a job. Right. You know, like, I did, uh, I, like, spoke at my graduation, like, not as the valedictorian, but just, like, as the sort of speaker. Because mm-hmm. um, I was sort of, like, into, a little bit into acting and thinking I wanted to do funny stuff. And no one else wanted to do it, is the main <laughs> part. Uh, so I did this, like, funny speech uh that was about whatever graduating but had a bunch of jokes in it and um i remember this teacher this english teacher i didn't like coming up to me after and she was like that was really funny like you should write for seinfeld and at the time (laughs) seinfeld had ended three years before it was like such a weird backhanded thing and it was like why not that i i'm not one of those like i don't have a vision board where i'm like you know conan in five years like i'm not that but at the same time i was like why couldn't i be signed i'm 18 the whole world's ahead of me i just graduated uh just graduated (laughs) high school why would you say like maybe you can write for that retired tv star that's that's like that was the teacher that was the teachers yeah there you go there's your career that's on par (laughs) with being into wanting to make movies and making a video and being the next spielberg sure yeah exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah. look we got a little Steven Spielberg over here. I just, yeah, I just, it's still just, I think about it all the time. Cause like I did acting in high school. I did, like I mm-hmm. almost did acting in college, like for a major, but it just never occurred to me. Like I didn't do any comedy. It just, it felt like I was like, nah, that's them. They go do that. But also there's a certain, like I think that breeds a more interesting type, excuse me, a more interesting type of comic like comes out of that now. Sure. So, so in, when I was in college, there was basically, there was sort of a sketch group. There was kind of a comedy magazine. And then the only regular, regular comedy was this improv group. Right. Uh, and one improv group. It was just like, okay, if you were, if you got in, that's what you got to do. Otherwise, like do plays or, uh, you right. know, focus on engineering. Now. <laughs> oh, wait, let me ask you just as a tip. Oh, sure. Did you know the guys from the band Get Him, Eat Him? Cause I yeah. think they all went to Brown. Yeah. No, I know them all yeah. pretty well. Uh, yeah. Actually, like, um, one of the guys, Joe Posner, yep. uh, I, I was like, he was shooting a, like some piece for public radio or something like that, a video for their website that I was in, uh, it's about six months ago. Oh. I just got a, uh, a W9 from him. There we go. There we go. $200 I'm out or whatever. My old, my old band had played, toured with them briefly and we had Matt LeMay, who was the main guy right. on the show, uh, uh, a couple of weeks Very ago. Very good at friend, writing friend even of then. The show. Yeah, yeah. So, friend of the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So. so No, so there was like one game in town. Right. And because not a lot of people, you know, yeah, we got a bunch of auditioners, but it was people that were like, I this sounds fun. Now I, I have like a family friend that just graduated there. And now people are like, because there's now like this world and business right. of comedy and like YouTube and sketches and vi- like they have such a visibility toward that like the improv group barely exists. And there's like five sketch groups that all they do is make YouTube videos and short films and they're all trying to be, you know, like the next Derek and all their yeah. mindsets are like, well, yeah, in the summer I obviously come to New York and I do UCB classes and it's like this totally. There are people that go to NYU to go to UCB. Yeah. And I remember actually. Which is crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the, and it's because I went to BU and like okay. when I was at BU and, you know, to, in, ending in 2000, like the, there was like the improv group that still exists, Slow Children at Play and probably. Oh, I've like, heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Like they still go on. But then like a couple years after was when like the Pangea 3000 guys were there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and now it's like I, I imagine there is a legitimate scene. Cause like you're saying, yeah. there's like people who. I think this, and they know it's a real career path now. I mean, not, you can, it's not really that much more real, but at least has, it's like documented. It seems on, like well, more of a career. Yeah, path. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And I'd like to retro, retroactively remove my comedy is the new rock and roll statement. It sounds like <laughs> something that like some asshole yeah. in leather pants would say <laughs> clearly like. Nice leather of, pants. By yeah. So yeah. So anyway. Clyde so, Davis just sent a memo <laughs> to his whole company. That's yeah. what he also just sent a memo. Move on being, this. Uh, just sent a memo about being bisexual for the past. 
yeah, there being that's a why relationship he's in my mind. with them um, <laughs> in the past 30 years. It's good that this he episode's for, This know. episode's for Clive. Yeah. I, I remember thinking when I moved to New York and was like trying to break into that Rafifi scene and, and I had sort of a, uh, I was kind of mutual friends with someone and like got to know Jason Wolliner, who at the mm-hmm. time was just starting to shoot mm. human giant right. stuff. And they, I don't think they were doing a TV show yet, but they had done, you know, kind of a bunch of big videos and, you know, everyone in that group was doing well. Um, and, you know, so I had like met Aziz and, uh, I just like, he's two weeks younger than me. And the reason, there are many reasons why he is much more successful than I or anybody <laughs> else is. He is infectiously popular and good at what he does. But I remember at the time being like, oh man, he's doing so well. He went to NYU and he did this all while he was here. Like right. I went to school, in, like some non-starting city. And then like I'm 22 or 23 and starting my career. But he basically, when he was, you know, 19 was at stand up New York right. taking tickets and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, hustling and hanging out at Rafifi. And I was like, that's so, <laughs> so I'm exactly four years behind. Right. No, he's, but the point is like at the time I was like, man, I, that was so smart of him. That's not why he went, but I was like, that was so smart of him right. to like, why not go to the school in New York and just start it whenever, you know, like, right. Well, we, you know, this is something that I, know I, this, I didn't get accepted this, to NYU because right, right. I well, wrote a terrible uh, essay. Look, I went to NYU. <laughs> I didn't know Aziz. Well, bully for you. But you're no Aziz. <laughs> um, this, this, I, we, this comes up a lot on the show is this idea of like, and especially in a case like that where you guys are doing some of the things you're exactly the same age, you mm-hmm. know a whole lot. It's inevitable that you're like, you can't help but compare yourself. Right. I mean, luckily, I think at a certain point you get over that. Yes. I think you just have to in general. Have in terms, to, yeah. every, every, Unless you are Aziz, you have to get over To make another right. asshole leather pants statement. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is on their own path. Yep. Yep. You true. know, so he, and yeah, and he did this and met this person. Blah, 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 you yeah. Know, and, it's all, it's all different and you just realize that Things happening earlier, and I'm not speaking of him at this point, but just like things happening earlier for some people doesn't mean that it should happen early for you. If I, right. if I had gotten on TV, like doing a seven minute set when I was 24, it would have been terrible and I would really regret as hard, as hard as I was working at the time, I'd really regret that being the start of my career. And who, like it took me, right. it took me a long time to figure yeah. out the voice, like my voice on stage and who I wanted to be. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that things did not happen for me right five well because it's also it's in, it's an insane thing to compare because it, like we've been talking about it's not a clear career path it's of not course, like yeah. you can be like oh well you know uh you know johnson uh got promoted at you know second right. year in the, yeah. Yeah. johnson this guy johnson yeah. does really yeah. well johnson, johnson yeah. again god damn it johnson. <laughs> uh but because it does it just doesn't exist like there's yeah. just you know it, it's out of it's out of all of our hands anyways i mean and like, then beyond people... doing good work uh, yeah and being happy with what you're doing so so give us another give us something else from the vaults <laughs> another story of uh oh man um I, I, most of my stories of like terrible gigs are like when I overreached where I was in my career, like uh-huh. what I thought I could pull off. And I remember I had been like working at, this was in college. I had been working at the studio, the comedy studio, this club, mm-hmm. like for a while and had, you know, I think I was like precocious and young enough that uh, more than being good, people were like impressed and into that I was young, that I was like mm-hmm. this 20 year old kid just doing sets and like, at the time, I thought I knew my voice or like sure. I had a voice that I'm glad I'm grown out of, but it seemed like together and I was like writing bits and doing well at this, you know, kind of easy club. Uh, and so there was this forum where people would talk about the business, but it was all like New England comics mm-hmm. uh, talking. So there's a very specific business model for stand up in New England. You know, obviously some stuff feeds to the cities and, you know, mm-hmm. 
you do have, you know, you have your, if you knew Dennis Leary 20 years ago, there's all, your own career path where he'll, he'll cast you and shit forever. But other than that, people sort of like carve out a whole living with stand-up just in New England. I mean, there's like a lot of, you know, there's like people that just do like headline. I was talking about VFW halls. Like yeah. we'll do like, you know, like kind of work in the city during the week. And then every weekend it's like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm doing like, you know, this benefit here. I'm doing like this club that's in right. Nashua, New Hampshire. I'm doing this. And you can like make a uh, pretty fucking good living off the books. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you and can. And a scary scene because Boston scene always freaked me out. Yeah. Not the, not the, not the studio, but the like, from, but yeah. like the, the legitimate, like yeah, it was, it was Lenny tough. Clark. And no, like, and it is scary. It's like, like a lot of... or whatever that place was or the, that old club, like, oh, over on, like Dick's Comedy Vault or the, oh, the Ding Ho. Yeah. Ding, the Ding which is, which closed. Like, yeah. Like that or whatever it was, like in the back in the day. Like, yeah. And it's that Dennis Leary, like, outlaw comedy vibe yeah. where it's like you know we we love to swap stories about the road and like keep secret that we all definitely killed a prostitute once <laughs> right. on coke you know like it's got a dark side yeah. that they revel in uh Motley Crue's the dirt but in the Boston <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that that was scary to me too and like that's this, this whole sort of community but yeah. I had, someone had this booker that I had never even met I think but he had like somehow put out the word that he you know, he had a lot of dates and a lot of these sort of rooms to fill. And he was like looking for new people. And this headliner guy knew that liked me from the studio, like put in a good word mm -hmm. for me to um, I like. And, and it's the sort of format of open feet, open feature headline. So <laughs> it's it's kind of this like one, two, three, which is how it happens at some clubs. But it was like this very it was like this whole business model of like, you know, when you got a good eight minutes, then, uh -huh. then you can start opening. And then once you build up a good 15, you can start featuring. And then when you have 45, you do mm -hmm. your headlining. And it's not based on like that. You've been on TV. Like right. you genuinely sort of prove yourself with bookers and you they handle the filling the room up. Yeah. So it's not like names that are drawing and it's right. just like, oh, it's comedy night at the, you know, uh, Polish bingo hall. Like we'll go and just these people do the show. So I got on this guy's list and he like gave me a trial show and it was like, in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut. Uh, and I had driven through Connecticut on 95 mm -hmm. and did not realize how much of Connecticut is not near 95. And oh, yeah. God, it's, it gets pretty dark yes, out there. It uh, gets uh, darker earlier. And <laughs> so I'm like sort of getting lost in like the backwoods. And I was like, there was no, inf like, there was no website. And he was just in contact by his like AOL address. And I like go to the <laughs> fire department where I was told the show was. And it was just like a dark fire department. And there's no businesses around. I don't even know if I had a cell phone. And I just was like, uh, is there a comedy show here? And there was like a fireman being like, no. And I was like, where, where am I? It was like such a weird, scary thing. Right. And then it was like, oh, wait, are you here for the, that event? And he had like a flyer from it. Like he had a clue that the I followed. Events. It was such right. a thing. There was, yeah, no, it was the yeah. events. And the way that right. these, these events would fill up is that like, there'd be one thing a week or a month in the town and everyone would be like, okay, this is our night out on Saturday. We all, you know, you pay $15 for a ticket. There's a raffle. Uh, there's free pretzels. You know, you pay another 10, you get dinner and a, you know, a pitcher of beer. Like it was like right. this sort of like, this is our night out. So I finally make it there like very close from the start, like to the start of the show. And the guy, for some reason, he didn't think he was like, Oh, I didn't know you were actually doing it. You never like confirmed today. And I was like, you book. Okay. My fault. It was like, but I'll honor my, you know, He's like, I was going to just open the show, but I'll open and then you want to do 10 minutes. And I was like, and he's like, I'll still pay you. And I was like, yes, thank you. That'd be uh -huh. great. And it was a very weird vibe. It was 
like so fluorescent lit, like a gymnasium basically, <laughs> with like card tables set up with people eating their pretzels and like right. you know, just finishing their, you know, buffet style dinner and like ready for their night of entertainment in this town. And he gets up and he's like the host and not a comedian, but he clearly like fancied himself right. a comedian and proceeds to just do Street jokes, uh-huh. uh, like you know, how can you tell a Polish fisherman, you know, he shoves <laughs> the fish up his butt, or what? Like, and people are just like, ah! like losing their minds. I would be losing. Yeah, it, no, it wasn't. <laughs> wish it was that good. Uh, it's a good joke, uh, but people were like going bananas for that, and I was like, oh, I don't think they're gonna like my like weird, uh, you know, alt bits about like you know my dad being the tooth fairy, like crazy complicated like right. college writerly bits I was doing. Well, that he had, said like, your closer. Yeah, like, and, the clo- and that's the yeah. thing. Is, so I'm doing these weird I bits. And I was like, he was like, can you do like 11 to 15? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I have 12. I've done two different six-minute sets before. Uh, I have 12. And I go up there, and it's just like a mic at the end of a gymnasium. You know, there's no stage or anything. And he's like, does his street jokes, and he sort of gives me a, you know, very standard, like, this guy's super funny, see him all around. He's all around, blah, 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 blah. Max Silvestri. <laughs> And I get up and I'm sure I was nervous and I just like start blowing through these <laughs> terrible, weird bits that none of the punchlines are real. All the punchlines are like, you know, and then he kicked me, you know, like just why <laughs> comedy like uh, um, like Louis C.K. I think has that bit about like if a story is not going well, just like adding in a lie and being like, yeah. And then he stabbed me, you know, like, to make it interesting. Like that's what all my jokes were, just like weird stories with lies at the end. And I proceed, I, and then I'm doing my closer, which is the mom catching me masturbating, and everyone there <laughs> is my mom's age. And I'm like, you are just watching this nervous, pimply 19 year old who is your son's age tell a story about your son masturbating and you catching him <laughs> when he was 12. And I'm just like, thanks. And I get off and I look at my watch, and it was like six and a half minutes. <laughs> And the guy like pats me on the back and he's like, sometimes shorter is better than <laughs> longer, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, uh, who? And then this, the headliner guy. And I'm like, I don't think I even see the middle guy. I'm like kind of too nervous, yeah. just like in the back of the room, but there's nowhere to hide. Like uh-huh. there's just the two other comics who are like roadie lifers right there. And they're not really talking to me. They're like, you know, clearly they resent old school Northeast guy. Yeah. Like they're like, like, do you know, they're yeah. like Northeast they're headliner circuit, people. Yeah. And I'm like this, not only am I not good. I'm like this young, you know, upstart. I'm smart, like right. nerd. So they're not really even talk. They don't even say like, good job. You know, there's no like camaraderie yeah. of we did this together. And then the headliner gets up and, uh, she is a big fat woman. And <laughs> I say that because her entire act <laughs> is about how she's a big fat woman. And so every joke is just like, uh, you know, I can't see my feet. And people are like, <laughs> like, like people, I have never seen anyone kill in person as hard as she killed right. just doing jokes about how she can't see parts of her body and how much she <laughs> likes food. And it's only fat stuff. And I'm just like watching her and people are like weeping and knocking over pretzels. Right. And the guy giving me my cash is like, you don't have to stay. And I was like, no, I'll stay. And I stayed <laughs> two minutes and then left Classic. with my like, $80 in my pocket or whatever, I mean, driving me hour back. To, you no, it was bad. good. Yeah, he was totally a classy guy. Never bothered to ask him for a set again. Right. And then I like bought marijuana with that money as <laughs> right. soon as I got back to Providence. <laughs> so I was like, spending it all. This is not the beginning of a career. This is right. like one night of money off the books. Yeah. <laughs> that, I, I love the, the, that's great also because of the, the idea that just people coming out 
for a night of comedy. For, for like comedy. It's just, comedy. We're going to see the comedians. Yeah. It doesn't matter who. It's like when. when It's the worry of the. I've always was like, I don't want to be in a band that's just playing for people who want to see music. Right. But right. there's and all. Play a VFW hall. But like, the, where you're like, uh oh. The flip is, side of yeah. that, as Jeff and I know from being. I feel like I really crapped on veterans a lot. <laughs> no, 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 VFW halls are yeah, great places. Great veterans. Yeah. I've played a couple of great shows in us. But the flip side of that is Jeff and I playing in touring bands is being like, oh, well. Hey, it's it's uh it's Monday night in Missoula, Montana. Like, what is what is what else are they going to be doing? Of <laughs> right. course, the whole town comes to the show, which yeah. of course yeah, is never. Comedy, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're at the comedy. Are you going show to comedy or, or music tonight? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> they're across the street. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what pushes you on from, I mean, it's, you're, you've got that young age, you got the idealism, like, yeah. you're doing those shows, like, what, what kept you being like, alright, fuck this, I'm gonna keep going, though. I'm well, gonna- the thing is, I just said I'm not gonna do those shows, and I right. kind of, instead of, which I don't think is a particularly noble point of view, but right. I, I just sort of said to myself, like, you know, I'm, I don't have this kind of, uh, all-consuming passion for stand-up where it's like, look, if I'm not getting up, right, I'm not breathing, you know, where right. I was just sort of like, you know what, I really like doing this, I want to get better, but I don't want to do it that way, and right. I feel like I will hate comedy if I commit myself to it that way. To decide to be the road comic, or it's the its guy own choice. Like the, or the, the guy that goes up. open mics, yeah. like, or, you know, whatever. Like, Absolutely, just like, yeah. And, right. and I think that the, the comics that I really respect and, like, look to as... Mm-hmm. A model of, you know, from a younger guy like Mulaney to even Louis C.K. I mean, they came up differently, but they can kill in any, you know, they can do a weird, bad clubby room. They can do a college of, you know, engineering students. They can do parents, you know, like they, you, you want your comedy to be such that, you know, you don't only succeed in like cabaret rooms on the Lower East Side. Uh, but at the same time, I sort of was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that kind of gig. So you were never like a, a guy going up like, Four or five times a day. I never was. You know, it was always kind of like this balance where, you know, I I always had a show. So Mm -hmm. I was always getting up every week and doing other people's shows. And, but then I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to write this thing tonight and I've got a freelance humor piece on Thursday and I want to like try to get this video shoot together. And it was always, you know, probably to the detriment of all the things because I didn't do just one, but, you know, I think got better at all of them at a slower pace. And I was sort of like, I enjoy this a lot more. I like, you know, the idea of hanging out at the back of a comedy room mm-hmm. six nights a week, like, really just sucks the fun out of living for me. And, yeah. but doing, doing it a couple times a week while also like working on scripts and doing this, like, that to me is, um, that I can totally get behind. Uh, you yeah, know? It make, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, that was, would be the, again, the same in music stuff too. Like the bands who just like, just kept playing and playing and playing and playing. And I would just be like, well, or you could play the select shows that you yeah. actually enjoy. Yeah. And then I feel that way. About comedy too. Like I just I can't I can't fathom going every night. Yeah. And going through the ring and just like sitting there and being like, I I just I can't do it. And yeah. it's just it, and I've thought about that too. The whole uh, you know, is it is it does it work against me to do multiple things? Does it work against me to not do the focus? But that's what makes me happy. And yeah. that's as you feel. Like that's it's that's Absolutely. just the path it has to be. So you know, I, I have that uh, sorry. Uh, I've I've musician friends my age that mm-hmm. have like also started to realize that you know like what makes them happy is not you know like they have a band that they're really committed to but also like session work and also right. like oh i'm gonna try to write a song with my friend for this soundtrack thing that's happening right. and maybe i'll tour in another guy's but ba- you know right the the kind of like they did the sort of four or five years of like we are going to give every bit of our money and soul yep. to this one band right and try to make it happen and 
Maybe it happened a little, maybe it didn't, but like now realizing they can find happiness in music you, you, and like yeah. a you're bunch talking to two of those guys <laughs> yeah. right now. Well, because so. I think both of that, both comedy and music, both live in the same world in that the model has changed anyways. Yeah. Like, and in the the there's actually is more possibility to do it. There's always been a possibility to do it how you want to do, but to do it successfully and that it can work yeah, a little absolutely. bit better because you can you can, now you can be in Missoula, Montana. And make a video yep. that someone sees and gets more plays. Than and someone also, you can make York. a podcast in New York, and when you go to Missoula, people are really into your podcast. Well, yes, you thankfully know? we're huge there. To bring this one full circle, Max, uh, a question that we do ask all of our guests is, what do you think of the word gig? Um, I... I'm okay with it as a noun. I think it's disgusting as a verb. And <laughs> people that use it as a verb, I feel like, are fetishizing this certain type of, like, grinding it out, man, you know, right. just gigging it, you know, just been gigging it a lot. And it really turns me off. Uh, <laughs> so I sort of raise my eyebrow a little bit uh, anytime I hear someone say gigging it. But gigs, like, I have a gig tonight. That feels really good to say. Look, I mean, disgusting is uh, an adjective that has not been thrown out there yet. But only as a verb. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. I agree with I, you. I have two gigs in Milwaukee next week, and I'm happy to say that. Sure. Uh, but I will not say I'm gigging it in Madison tonight if someone been asks gigging me. gigging it I'm hard this Well, week. listen, <laughs> yeah. before, before you head to Wisconsin, we just want to make sure <laughs> that you get home safe. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, guys. Worst gig ever.